It's Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Hey, Chet, uh, Sixers trail the Heat one nothing without Joel Embiid. Game two tonight. Sixers need to steal one there. The Phillies muddling below 500, already six games behind the Mets. That's not good. Flyers have finally been put out of their misery or put us out of their misery or whatever. <laughs> it's over. Thank goodness. But, Jed, as Jim Gardner would say, the big story on Philly Press Box Radio is the Eagles and the 2022 NFL Draft. Yeah, plenty of Eagles talk ahead, Bill. But, you know, there are a couple of other big stories that uh, you didn't mention. It is Star Wars Day, so, you know, may the 4th be with you. I, I don't know. I can't believe I said that. But the other thing is, we are formerly back in good standing, not that we were ever in bad standing, with the folks at the Irish Rover Station House. So we are welcoming them back as one of our primary sponsors, the gang at the Irish Rover. Just terrific, and we are thrilled to have them back in our corner. They are a great crew. Absolutely. And uh, glad they're back after all the COVID. They're still there. and. uh Doing Back well. with us, and we're, we're happy about that. And, Chad, uh, since you mentioned Star Wars, I, I, I may be one of the few <laughs> never have seen one second. Not a one? I've only never. seen the, the very first two back in the mid-'70s. I'm not a Star Wars guy either. Maybe our guest is. We'll have to ask him. We'll see, but not me. I, I know that probably surprises you. Nah, yeah. yeah. Big movie <laughs> guy that you are. That's right. <laughs> All right. Hey, great guest tonight in Bleeding Green Nation's uh, Brandon Lee Gowton. He's making a return to Philly Press Box Radio. He's going to break down that whole Eagles draft, trade, the whole deal. I can't wait. We're going to get his take on how the Eagles did last week as well as the rest of the NFC East and you know what the Birds still might be able to do. Maybe talk a little Sixers as well. Let's get him on, Bill. Well, let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome, BLG, back to Philly Press Box Radio. Brandon, I'm not one to get uh, really excited about the draft. You don't win championships in April. Uh, but I'm pretty fired up about what went down last weekend. You should be. Eagles fans uh, everywhere should be really excited about what this team was able to do. I think this offseason prior to the draft lacked some real juice. I mean, they signed Hassan Reddick. That's a nice ad, but that alone doesn't really necessarily move the needle for the team. And I think getting A.J. Brown, which was that really on anyone's radar in a big way? I don't think so. And then Jordan Davis, who I think has the potential to be a difference maker for this defense and an interesting special player for a long time uh, and to get N'Kobe Dean, like to, to do all of this, it's a really good weekend for the Eagles. Well, let's break that down a little bit. Let's talk about what happened on Thursday, first of all, which was draft night number one, the Eagles getting Jordan Davis yeah, after moving up a couple of spots to do that, and then the big trade for A.J. Brown. Uh, there are cons some concerns about how much Jordan Davis is going to play, at least as a rookie, that he's only a, a two-down guy or you know, 38% of the snaps or whatever. How do you like the uh, move to get Jordan Davis? I think the red flags against Jordan Davis, like, you know, they're not coming out of nowhere. I hear them. But I think kind of like with Devontae Smith, where everyone was just so focused on his size. I think you're kind of if you're if you're looking at all of those things, the reasons not to like him, I think you're missing some really good reasons to like him. And I think some of the concerns are overblown to the extent of where, okay, he didn't have the best sack production, but who did at Georgia because they don't really play an attack style defense as much as they're a two gapping system and they want to control the line of scrimmage. So I think that's a 
very valid reason why his sack numbers weren't bigger. Also, he didn't play the most snaps in part because they wanted to keep that rotation heavy because they had a lot of talented players and because in part because uh, Kirby Smart wanted to play the guys, uh, the recruits, you know, the guys who are up and coming. So they're not transferring to other schools. So there was a lot of moving parts, I think, uh, in the picture there. At the end of the day, you're getting the Chuck Bednarik award winner for the best Mm -hmm. defender in college football from the national championship team. Oh, who, by the way, also happens to literally be the second most athletic prospect ever in the NFL draft. So that's pretty crazy. I think you take a (laughs) chance on that guy. Obviously, the Eagles value the trenches. There's a lot of uh, sense in that. Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, both currently set to be free agents after this year. You need a new mm-hmm. foundational uh, piece in the interior there, and I think Jordan Davis has the potential to be special. I don't think there's a Jordan Davis in just any draft. And, and you look at the players like him in terms of difference makers for championship-winning teams, Haloti Nada, uh, Vince Wilfork, uh, Casey Hampton, uh, Vita Vea more recently. Like These guys can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought after after the pick and you know all the hype and all that uh, – there was that picture that came out, a still picture of him being triple teamed by three Alabama linemen. Uh, that tells you something in its own self. But I think the, the Davis pickup to me is fantastic. And it, and it creates a nice rotation for the Eagles as well in the middle while Davis is getting his feet uh, wet and, and Cox is there to mentor him. We know Cox isn't going to be around forever. Uh, I think it's a great situation. And I think it's a great piece to go with, with Reddick. And then, um, as we'll get to Dean later on, they really strengthened the front seven. Absolutely. And I think Jordan Davis helps you. Maybe he's not, you know, posting the biggest sack numbers himself, but I think he's helping his teammates do that. And he's also getting you to third and longs because he's going to be such a force in the interior there, uh, stopping the run. And I just don't buy that he he doesn't have it as a pass rusher. When he was allowed to attack upfield, I've I've seen him do some pretty special things in terms of uh, blowing through a running back who's trying to chip him and no chance, you know, running back trying to block him and then getting to the quarterback. So uh, I definitely think, again, the, the upside alone to me is worth it. A lot of times we think of players as, you know, high floor or low ceiling or just the opposite, low ceiling, high floor. I think Jordan Davis is a rare high floor, high ceiling prospect. All right, and then the A.J. Brown deal, they had to give up some picks. They had to pay out some money. Wide receivers are getting paid these days. But you like A.J. Brown, is that correct? I do a lot. I think people should like him because you look at his uh, efficiency metrics. You can't just look at the volume numbers because you have to consider the Titans are running the ball more than almost any other team, especially like through the uh, presence of Derrick Henry there. So, you know, he, he didn't have a thousand yard receiving season last year. He missed a couple games. Not majorly worried with injuries, knock on wood, because it's not like he's had, you know, these serious issues um, thus far. He's only 24. Like, that's pretty crazy. He'll be 25 this season, but to trade for a guy like that who's a proven producer, again, you look at efficiency metrics such as yards per route run. He's ranking like top five the past couple of seasons. I think he was fifth last year. Uh, second in 2020 and then uh in, in as a rookie he was like 13th so he this guy has been incredibly efficient um he is one of the best receivers in the nfl the contract is absolutely reasonable when you're considering the market rate for these guys and to get a guy that young to get his entire prime basically like that's a really good deal and just what the eagles needed they needed receiver <laughs> like who did they have if they didn't have aj brown it's Devonte smith was watkins and then you're looking at Zach Pascal as your number three. Like those, that's not ideal. That's really not a, a situation you feel great about going to war with, especially 
looking at some of these other teams, what they have to offer. So to get A.J. Brown is absolutely a game changer. Hey, Brandon, a quick follow-up. Uh, he and uh, Jalen Hurts are very good friends. We learned that in recent weeks. Is that something that's going to help them with the relationship on the field as well, do you think? I don't think it hurts. Um, no pun intended. I think the uh, fact that Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown have a relationship and A.J. Brown being on this team, I think it's, it's more than 0%. I'd say it's way less than 100% in terms of uh, you know being all meaningful. And I, I think there's a pretty decent chance that A.J. Brown outlasts Jalen Hurts on this team. Um, but the fact that they have this you know camaraderie certainly doesn't uh, – it's, it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how much I love this. Uh, I, I think this trade is fantastic. It's an upper echelon young receiver. Um, I think they were probably going to have to draft a receiver at some point, whether they'd have done it here in the first round or early in the second round. But we've seen how that's worked out recently. Not so good. Um, there's no reaching for this guy. You traded basically, you swapped first and you traded a third round pick for a pro bowler. Uh, great move by Howie Roseman and him and Smith and Watkins uh, on the field together, they, they've got weapons. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, I mean, when you bump down Zach Pascal to, like, let's say, the fifth option uh, in this offense and you bump Quez Watkins down to being, like, the third receiver, like, that's good. That's where those guys should be. I think those are, you know, nice players for their role. But when you put them in a really bigger role, then that's not as ideal. And, uh, Devontae Smith, I thought, was really good last year. I think his numbers suffered. Speaking of A.J. Brown's volume numbers suffering from being in a run-heavy offense, the Eagles ran the ball more than any other team last year. So I think for Devontae um, to hopefully get some more volume this year and you had A.J. Brown taking away attention from Devontae and vice versa, really, um, I just think that's a formidable thing to have. And just the, the style of football that A.J. Brown plays, I think is very going, very much going to lend itself to Philly in terms of a guy who's going to fight for yards after the catch. He's physical. He's big. You know, We all love T.O. when he was in his prime here. Um, we, we like a big receiver like that, and I think he's absolutely going to uh, be that new uh, presence here. So, Brandon, as recently as about 10 days ago, N'Kobe Dean was seen as a mid-first-round pick by a lot of people. Didn't happen, and uh, he kept dropping and dropping, so Eagles fans thought, hmm, maybe we'll get him in the second round. They went in a different direction there. And then the third round rolls around and you think, hey, maybe N'Kobe Dean now for the Eagles. Let's talk about N'Kobe Dean. Are there concerns about, you know, the the injuries that he's had? And if they're not that serious, is this a steal like most people think? I mean, I think it's no matter what, basically, uh, even if he... I, I don't want to say he never plays a snap, but even like kind of realistic worst case scenario, the risk is worth it. You know, pick 83, I believe, but... It is a little weird. You can't just say like, oh, the Eagles outsmarted everyone else and there was nothing here and there was no reason why teams were passing on him. Like that's a little naive uh, to think there's clearly something. Now maybe was it a good reason? Maybe it wasn't. And maybe teams will look foolish indeed for passing up on him like that, but clearly something went into him falling that far. And even looking at what New York Giants general manager Joe Shane had to say, when he was asked about kind of like why didn't the Giants take a risk on Kobe Dean, and he basically said something to the effect of like, well, there's a reason, and I don't really want to get into that. So like, okay, kind of monitor that. And at the same time, it's kind of hard to pair that with also Harry Roseman 
and Nicobe Dean both saying he'll be fine for rookie minicamp coming up this weekend. So I guess we'll see if that's true and we'll see how that goes. And it's something certainly we'll be monitoring through OTAs and training camp. Is he out there on the field every day? Is he able to stay healthy? It's something that we're going to need to see, I think, fully before we can just merely assume there are no issues here whatsoever. Um, and obviously how he holds up through the course of a season too, assuming he's playing. So I can't just put all those concerns to bed just yet until we kind of really see it uh, improve. He's, he's able to be durable and be out there on the field like he was at Georgia but still you know just for him to fall that far there's something there but uh for the Eagles sake uh hopefully it isn't anything yeah Brandon I'll tell you I'll share with you from from one of my sources that said that uh the University of Georgia created this situation by saying he had a strain that could require surgery well strains don't require surgery tears require surgery and they left a lot of these teams in limbo on not knowing the real health. And that's what the drop was. Not the player. The mm. player could play. The player was yeah. first round pick. Well, that's that's much the Eagles benefit then because being able to pair Nicobe Dean um with Jordan Davis is really nice. Just drafting those players from the championship team, kind of hard to go wrong. How he did a good job with that last year, getting, you know, Devontae Smith and Landon Dickerson. And then you look at just what the Eagles didn't have at linebacker. Um, I think you know, Kaiser White is a nice one-year deal. You'll see if he can actually be a nice player for this team or not. If not, you move on. TJ Edwards, though, also on the last year of his contract, and we'll see if, you know, the Eagles really want to make him a long-term piece at some point. So in the case that both of those guys aren't around, then you have N'Kobe Dean here, and that's pretty good to have. Hey, speaking of linebackers, you mentioned the other newcomer, Hassan Reddick, the Temple alum. He is an edge rusher, but I'm hearing that he's probably going to often line up as a linebacker. Is that an indication the Eagles may be playing more 3-4 this season than in the past? I, I think we're looking at a hybrid here. You know, there were a lot of 3-4 looks in training camp last season, and then I would say even early in the season. And I think the Eagles kind of tried to get away from that a little bit because they probably didn't have all the right pieces for that, especially just, you know, coming off of years and years of being a 4-3 defense and and not, you know, being fully equipped to run that style. I don't think it's necessarily what the Eagles want to move full on to, just like 3-4 all the time. Um, I think they still have personnel for that 43 defense, but uh, I think we're going to see a hybrid. And I think Jonathan Gannon has talked about that in the past too, and kind of emulating a little bit of what Brandon Staley has done. He specifically mentioned him. Um, So I think we can kind of see uh, both of those defenses. And yeah, you know, you look at Jordan Davis being, you know, a classic nose tackle in the middle there. That certainly makes sense. And and Redick, as you mentioned, uh, adding him as a, as a same kind of linebacker, edge rusher, and then Kyron Johnson, obviously, who they got in day three. Very much a three, four linebacker kind of mold. So, yeah, they definitely are adding the pieces for that. Hey, Brandon, I wanted to ask you about the six-round pick, Grant Calcaterra. I believe I got that right, Calcaterra. Uh, You know, he, uh, I think he's kind of an interesting guy in that he's got some major concussion issue history, Um, but he actually retired from football, came back, uh, you know, got the green light, came back, played well, uh, probably dropped it a six round because of the concussion issues. Is there a steal sitting there as well? Did they did they reach out on a guy that, if he's healthy, could turn into being something uh, of a surprise as well? I was watching him a little bit more, and you can really see how he made an impact in the red zone. Um, really good hands, the size, um, the athleticism seemed to help him down there. And you look at his stats, um, didn't post the big volume numbers, but in terms of, again, the efficiency, uh, it was pretty good. He, he can make a big play, is what I'm trying to say. 
uh, not so many words. So it's definitely an interesting guy to take a chance on on day three. Uh, the fact that he did already retire is a red flag because you have to wonder, okay, what if he kind of has another concussion in training camp? And is he right. going to hang him up? And I don't think anyone can blame him if he did, but that's certainly something we're going to be monitoring, not only now, but for the rest of his career. So you kind of have to file that away and wonder you know, if that possibility is kind of why teams were scared off taking a chance on him. So you know, there's some downside there, but it'll be worth a look at, at the very least to see if he can kind of compete for that number two tight end role because that's something they need behind Dallas Goddard. I think Jack Stoll did some nice things last year and deserves a chance to compete for that spot as well, but by no means should he just be handed that job. So uh, the Eagles are adding some more competition there uh, at tight end behind Goddard, which is exactly what they needed to do. So, Brandon, as I put the draft class by the Eagles up again, uh, seven rounds, five picks ultimately – Zero cornerbacks, zero safeties. Mm-hmm. Is that a concern? <laughs> when you look at the depth chart, I would say absolutely <laughs> a concern. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is no team is going to have a perfect roster. You're going to have holes somewhere on your team. So you have to acknowledge that. Um, so that that's part of it. But, you know, the the other part of it is you're going to war with a lot of guys with question marks and, mm-hmm. and just kind of, you know, Anthony Harris, who was fine last year. Not really excited about that. Marcus Epps, who I think is actually an intriguing player, but more so, you know, again, kind of like I talked about with Quez Watkins and Zach Pascal on offense, like in their role, I like Marcus Epps maybe as like a third safety, a guy who can kind of rotate in and give you some snaps and different formations and different looks. I think that's worthwhile. But if you're asking him to be your second best safety uh, and then your best potentially, if something, you know, happens to Anthony Harris, that's just not really the ideal spot to be. I guess one thing I would say to kind of quell any panic or at least downplay some concerns about the Eagles secondary is Jonathan Gannon for all of his faults. I think has typically gotten more out of less with his defensive backs or at least has had success maximizing them. You look at Xavier Rhodes, who by the way, is still out there and potentially the Eagles can sign at some point if they really wanted to. Um, in Indy, you look at uh, Darius Slay having a bounce back year last year. Avante Maddox just had the best year of his career. So, you know, they've gotten some production out of these quarterbacks. I really liked what Zach McPherson, the Eagles fourth round pick from last year, showed in training camp. So I'm interested to see if he kind of can make that leap. Maybe he can't, but I think he deserves at least a little bit of some hope uh, of a chance to do that so you know um there's still training camp to play out you know, there's trade options out there chuck clark from the ravens has been mentioned especially with the ravens taking kyle hamilton and obviously signing marcus williams in free agency so you know i would say there's, there's still some names that the use potentially add it's not like you know it's locked in stone the roster right now but it's certainly an area that they need to get better at and could afford to get much better at hmm. well brandon we know that this class being you know this draft was much different because of the, the covid class a uh, lot more talent in this class, probably deeper, whether it was better or not, but there was a lot of talent in this class. Uh, the unsigned free or the, the undrafted free agents that they got, any help there? Is the blanket ship kid going to be able to help them or, or any of the others on the back end uh, yeah, they got some step of the, in and get something? Yeah, sorry. They got some of the top-ranked uh, undrafted rookie free agents, depending on you know whose rankings you look by. I believe NFL.com had uh, Josh Joe. You know, the Alabama corner as one of their top defensive backs available. 
Um, so, you know, I think the approach there is you're kind of just taking uh, like scratch offs, basically lottery tickets here to see if something hits, something works out for you. And that's a reasonable approach to do. And you can't really do too much else um, between all of the quarterbacks they already had in terms of Zach McPherson and Mac McCain and Tay Gowan and, and these guys who were kind of like day three picks the past couple of years. You know, again, you're throwing that all at the wall. You're hoping something sticks. Might not. There's a good chance it won't work out, but um, there, there's some kind of hope that just based on the pure volume that one of those guys might be able to be something for you. So, you know, it's worthwhile. Um, it, it's again, it's not a sure bet by any means, but we'll see. So the Eagles draft getting generally very good grades. I'm going to put them up right here. And that includes uh, you at BGN radio, <laughs> everybody going somewhere between B, B plus a minus and a, even a couple of a pluses. So you do think it's an a minus. Yeah, I'll go with an A minus just because, you know, ideally in a perfect world, you want more volume than five picks. And, you know, I can't complain about that too much. They got AJ Brown. You have to factor in that as well. But, yep. you know, in a perfect world, you know, in an A plus world to me, you, you're able to sit at 15, maybe get someone, not have to give up those picks that they gave up. Um, so, I mean, and if you, if you factor in next year's trade as well in terms of the, the, the first round pick they got in 2023 with the Saints and the 2024 second, you know, that's strong too. So, the Cam Jurgens pick knocks it down a little bit for me just from the standpoint of I don't know that that's definitely the best player available. And also, even if you would argue he is, okay, there is literally no precedent in the NFL of teams taking a center and them not really playing at all in their first year. You just don't really see examples of that. I don't necessarily think you need to take a center like that and burn a year of his rookie contract. And while some people like the athletics, Dane Brugler were higher on a Cam Jurgens and had him as their like 49th overall prospect. You look at someone like PFF or some other outlets they had him more down by like 190. So, you know, there's a, there's a, obviously a difference in opinion there and, uh, and maybe grooming. I can, I can see the vision. I get like, you bring him in, maybe Jason Kelsey can kind of really help groom him. He takes over next year. But to me, I'm also not hundred percent convinced that Jason Kelsey is walking away after this season. I mean, maybe it's more likely than not, but he's coming off an all pro year. And like he could potentially be the best option for the Eagles again next year. And at that point, you have Cam Jurgens, who has never played guard. So maybe he can do it, but he'd be on the lighter end as a guy at his weight for that for that position. Um, and then you're burning potentially two years of his rookie deal. Like that would not be very good. And it also would not be unprecedented for the Eagles because it looked like Andre Dillard is kind of going that way. Uh, in his second season before he got hurt there. So I just I don't think that's an A plus kind of pick for me, but at the same time, I'm kind of quibbling is very much more positive than bad. So it's an A minus for me. All right, let's get to the field. We, we're talking about on paper. Now let's get to the field. Okay. We got the offense that still has, I guess, by considered many, the best offensive line in the NFL. Let, let's stick with that. Let's call it top five. I'll call it top couple. Um, you have a potential thousand yard receiver in AJ Brown. You have a potential thousand yard receiver in Devontae Smith, and you have Miles Sanders, who can be a thousand yard back. Uh, we seem to think that the Eagles like to run the football first. How are you going to spread the wealth hmm. with Dallas Goddard, Quez Watkins, and so forth? And I think my own my own thought is they're going to set this offense up for Jalen Hurts to be very very successful by running the ball and then being able to open the field up a little bit and not have to throw them deep balls that he has a little trouble with. 
Yeah, I think the Eagles want to pass the ball, ideally more than they did again when they ended up as the run heaviest team in the league. You just look at where their you know passing rates are historically, and they're not. That's not them. I think they had to do it clearly last year when they were trying to pass the ball a lot earlier in the year, and it clearly just wasn't working out. And they really just decided to lean into the strength of their team, which was Jeff Stoutland and the offensive line and the running game. So. Uh, it's hard for me to believe, you know, at the same time, they're fully just going to pivot away from that because it did work so well. And a lot of that is still there for them. But I think they realize, and Nick Sirianni's kind of even talked about, they know they, they can't be that low in passing attempts. Like you, you just have to be higher than that. You have to, especially to win, you know, the, the most important games and in the playoffs and against the really good teams, you're going to have to throw the ball at some point. The run is not just always going to be there for you every single week until the Super Bowl. If it was the Eagles, would have had a better chance at winning it all last season. So uh, they, they definitely want to see an evolution, I believe, from Jalen Hurts. So you know, the pressure is on him now. Look, the, the tools are here for the Eagles to have a, a really good offense, and it's on him to step up and be a better player than he was last year. Obviously, he made some strides in 2021, but not to the point where he erased all doubt by any means, and, and to the point even where the Eagles were certainly flirting with Russell Wilson and Sean Watson and looking into those options in a very serious way. Obviously, didn't land them and didn't work out, but they certainly were checking in there and were not fully sold on Jalen Hurts. So now is the time for him to really step up because after this season, he's going to be eligible for a contract. And I could be wrong, but my read on this is that his camp is very much going to want that commitment as soon as after the season because the Eagles have flirted with those quarterbacks and they have an extra first-round pick next year. And I think Jalen Hurts and his camp are going to want that security. So he's going to have to earn it. Absolutely. Hey, I want to talk Sixers with you, but very quickly before we do that, uh, how do the rest of the NFC East do with their drafts? The Giants, the Cowboys, and the Reds, I mean, Commanders. <laughs> uh, the Giants, obviously, I think knocked it out of the park on day one. I think yeah. there is some downside with Kayvon Thibodeau. I think there's a reason he fell. So I'm I'm interested to monitor that and see if some of the red flags that were coming out about him before the draft are true. But um, there's also a really good potential. He's just awesome for them as an edge rusher. And then Evan Neal, again, like between both of those guys, they arguably could have been the number one overall pick. Like So that's pretty good for them. The rest of the draft, I don't think is anything too crazy for them. Um, you look at the Cowboys, I don't think they had a good draft at all. Uh, you know, I think they reached for Tyler Smith. I think that they needed offensive line help, and that's why they did that. And I think you look at uh, the offseason as a whole for them, and it really hasn't been you know, like trending in a great direction. It hasn't been like super positive. You know, you've had the weird Sean Payton thing hanging over them and Mike McCarthy kind of almost feeling like a lame duck. And obviously the way their season ended was terrible for them. Great for us and everyone else. Uh, so I just don't think it was this, this is like an ace Cowboys draft. I would be much more scared if they had landed, let's say, uh, Tyler Linderbaum. And to take it back to the Giants real quick, it's not an A-plus draft for them because I was scared they would land a future first-round pick and kind of be in the market potentially for a quarterback next year. Um, taking it to Washington, I think they should have just taken Jamison Williams at number 11. I thought he was a really good player. And for them to trade down and take Dotson, I mean, that's, that's okay. I don't think it's a disastrous move by them, but I don't think it's the best thing they could have done. And uh, the rest of the draft elsewhere, just not that impressive to me. And honestly, too, like if you're a Washington fan and you're seeing your team take Dotson at 16, and the Eagles are trying to pick 18 into A.J. Brown. I mean, like, do you really feel super stoked for your pick when, again, the Eagles are getting a much, much better player? Obviously, you have to give out the contract as well, but I think that's pretty worth it. So I think the Eagles clearly had the best draft in the division. It's close. The Giants are closer, you know, second place, um, but I think the Eagles were at the top. 
Hey, Chad, before we jump to the Sixers, I want to throw this up here for Brandon. Uh, whoop, I jumped the wrong one. Sean, uh, Sean asks, I see Kyron Johnson from Kansas, another Reddit kind of player. You agree? Absolutely. I think the Eagles, you know, adding Hassan Reddick, it's like, okay, what do they do if, again, knock on wood, that guy gets hurt? You're just not going to have a player who can kind of do those types of things. And obviously, Kyron Johnson, unreasonable to expect him to be anything kind of player that Hassan Reddick is currently. But to at least have someone who can emulate that mold, I think, is important. So, yeah, the Eagles were looking at those types of guys prior to the draft, like a D'Angelo Malone or Jesse Lakita from Penn State. They were looking for these same linebacker types. So, absolutely, I think that was the vision there. Brandon, uh, we're all upset about the Joel Embiid injury situation. Uh, I really thought they were going to beat the Heat if he were healthy. He's not. Now, true or false, they have to steal game two to have a shot in this series because we don't know if Embiid's coming back for game three or not. I think he will be back for game three. But, I do uh, too. But, but yeah, they have to. They have to steal it. And even when they were up in the first half uh, the other night, I just I didn't yeah. think they were going to win that game. I, I was I kept finding myself being like, "How are they close? How are they not getting blown out?" Uh, <laughs> it's just it's tough. He's 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 the MVP for a reason. Yep. All right. Well, Brandon, hey, before we let you go, let the listeners know how they can follow all the things you have going on on all your platforms with uh, Bleeding Green Nation. Check out bleedinggreennation.com. Check out, you know, the podcast as well, BGN Radio. Uh, for the more than just Eagles talk, you can check out the, the NFC East mixtape on the BGN podcast feed, which I do with RJ Ochoa, who's a Cowboys fan. And that was a really fun episode this week because I got to kind of, you know, needle him about how the Cowboys didn't have as good of a draft as the Eagles did. And and he's kind of in denial about it, but that's fine. That's usually the case. And then obviously uh, beyond the Eagles and, and the NFCs, you can check out the SB Nation NFL show where I'm talking all things uh, football and league-wide on Tuesdays there. So uh, that's, that's mostly where you can find me. Obviously, Twitter at Brandon Gowton and Instagram at Brandon Gowton as well. And Brandon, before you go, I just want to mention that you are part of history tonight. Philly Press Box Radio celebrated its eighth anniversary last week, which means this is the first show of our ninth year. And you, my friend, are the very <laughs> first guest to make it to 20 visits. Yeah, 20. That is two more than both D. Lynham and Ray Didinger. So you're the leader in the clubhouse. <laughs> I, I can't believe I've been on all these years. Uh, you keep having me back for some reason. I, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, I, appreciate well, I guess it. we like I, it. <laughs> and it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. It's always great. And we certainly appreciate you taking the time to do it. And you're always informed and you're always on top of the game. And uh, we appreciate you. Here's to another 20 more. That's Talk right. To you this summer. Thanks, Thanks Brandon. Brandon. See you guys. See ya. All right, Chet. Hey, uh, gas price is going up. Traveling is going down. Is your couch getting more mileage than your car? It's time to start saving with Allstate's pay-as-you-go auto insurance. Yeah, you know it, Bill. Allstate's pay-as-you-go auto insurance puts you in control. You only have to pay for the miles you drive with the same full coverage that a traditional policy offers. Pay-per-mile insurance gives customers greater control of their insurance costs. See how much you can save with pay-per-mile car insurance by calling your local agent. In Westchester, PA, that is Dave Lavoy. Call Dave at 610-430-0700. Once again, 610-430-0700. And start to save more now that you are driving less. And folks, one place you absolutely may want to consider driving to is the Irish Rover Station House. I'll tell you, I am so glad that we get to talk to you again about them. Boy, do they have a lot going on these days. At the Irish Rover in Langhorne this week, they are celebrating Cinco de Mayo this Thursday. Yes, an Irish bar celebrating a Mexican holiday. 
why not? Saturday afternoon and early evening, there are various specials in connection with the Kentucky Derby. Have a mint julep or derby cocktail, and don't forget your hat. You just might win a prize. I would tell you about their Mother's Day brunch, but that's already fully booked, so uh, forget about that. But uh, maybe next year for that. I just love the gang at the Irish Rover. Visit them on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne and find out all you need to know on their website. It is irishroverstationhouse.com. How about that, Bill? Excellent, excellent. And uh, we will be making a spot there sometime this summer, my friend. Let's make it Absolutely. A note. And we got to hear this tradition, Bill, right here. Hi, this is Ray Dinger. And it is always fun to talk sports with these two guys, Bill and Chad, on Philly Press Box Radio. <laughs> All right, Chad. Joel Embiid goes down after the Sixers finish off the Raptors. After, notice I said. Finish off the Raptors, put Raptors putting him out for at least first two games against the Heat. Sixers trailing one nothing. Uh, game two just tipping off here tonight. Uh, do the Sixers have what it takes to win this thing? Um, hopefully they get and be back for game three in Philly Friday. And what's your take on Doc Rivers' comment <laughs> that um, having Joel in at that situation was not a problem? Yeah, okay. Uh, revisionist history? Uh, no, because look at what happened. Come on. I believe the Sixers are nine or nine and a half point underdogs tonight, so it's not going to be an easy task. And when I say tonight, I'm talking Wednesday. For those of you watching us live, if you're watching us a couple days later, you'll know what happened already. But anyway, yeah, a, a tough task to beat the Heat in Miami without Joel Embiid. Uh, to have a shot, they certainly have to do a better job than they did shooting the uh, threes. Like they did the other night, six Ooh. for 34, 17.6%, Bill. That is not good. I mean, other than Tobias Harris, they were all pretty crappy Monday night. They had a three-point lead early in the second half. Then Miami just basically toyed with them and took over. And by the way, Bill, you and I had the same amount of points and rebounds as that George Niang. That's zero yeah. and zero. Yeah. Yeah, oh, for yeah. seven from the field. Yeah, and, and you know, and uh, it kind of helped them out through part of the season, uh, but he sure didn't uh, in game one. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I think they could steal this game. If they could steal this one game, hey, it's it's everything's even and, and beats back, and, and actually with a week uh, or more rest, hey, who knows what happens. There, There's a chance they can win this series, I, I believe. Maybe not if they lose tonight. No, I think tonight is crucial. So, uh, you know, I wish them the best. As soon as we get out of here, we're gonna I'm going to race home and, and watch. And let, let's get back to Embiid. I know you criticize him from time to time, but he was playing with a sprained thumb. And then in that clinching game up in Toronto, as you alluded to, when the Sixers were up by 27 points, he's still in there with just under four minutes left. He should have been on the bench relaxing, but no, he's in there. He gets the dunk, and then he gets the elbow in the face from uh, Siakam. And he's got the orbital fracture. He had a concussion. Supposedly, he's doing better with all that now. Hopefully, he will be back. But, yeah, he should not have been out there with four minutes left at a 27-point lead. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know really what Doc was thinking on that move. And then, and then to kind of justify it by saying, well, you know, it was all right. No, it's not all right. You just lost your best player, and, you, and you're struggling. You're going to need him. You're going to need him to win this Miami series. And, it, you know, as we know, they were going to have their hands full with him. They certainly were going to have their hands full without him. 
Look at the backup centers that they're putting out there. Now, Paul Reed looks lost. He's a, a foul machine. He plays, you know, 15 minutes or whatever and gets four or five fouls. Um, DeAndre Jordan, 17 minutes the other night. Yeah, he scored four points. He blocked two shots. He also was a minus 22 in 17 minutes, Bill. That ain't good. No, that's <laughs> not good. That's not good. Well, we'll see how it plays out. One can only hope uh, – First of all, that they win tonight and that Embiid is ready to go on Friday. We'll see how it goes uh, from there. And we'll talk some more about that next week for sure. Yes, we will. Hopefully there'll still be a series to talk about next week. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Or we'll talk about how it went in the tank because Embiid didn't play one or the other. Yep. All right. Hey, let's give a shout out, first of all, to you for your contribution to the Edge of Philly Sports Network draft coverage over the weekend, Chet. Uh you and all the rest of the guys did a great job. Everybody contributed. Good stuff. It went Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I got to be on the final Friday, uh, Sunday recap show, which was was really good, too, on the um, Eagles Bird's Eye. That, that was a great show. Everybody contributed and really fun stuff. Yeah, great job by everybody. Draft coverage, as you said, from remote locations, live out there with the public, Thursday through Saturday in the wrap-up show on Sunday. Kudos to Big Al and Joey and TK and Matty B and all the other guys who you know contributed to this, putting it all together. I was part of the Friday night crew, as you mentioned, uh, at Marty McGee's. We had a blast there in Prospect Park that me, Big Al, Dave, Frank, and Matt, we had a good time. James scores a stop by. Uh, the Eagles surprised us, you know, with the drafting of Cam Jurgens in the second round that night. And then, of course, they snagged N'Kobe Dean, who fell to the third round. So that was fun. And along the way, we got to talk about the Phillies getting no hit and the injury news that came out that evening on Joel Mead. So it was it was quite an action-packed three hours that we had. Absolutely. Good stuff. Great coverage. Uh, they followed up with articles, graphics, all kinds of stuff, uh, like you say, Al uh, does main does a lot of the producing, but everybody else helps out, and uh, great job. So check them out. Let's go. Uh, this week's shows, Chet, are also loaded up. You can catch all the action, as we say, www.eopsports.com. Uh, you have our show, Philly Press Box Radio. You can also always check out on YouTube as well. But uh, we've still got the Broad Street Bullies talking flyers, Joey's mailbags going on. Monday post-game with the process. We're doing a little union with Eric Williamson on Tuesday night. Talk Philly sports. Vince Quinn will be back with Matty B. Sixers post-game tonight, so it would probably be about 9.30. Uh, Big Al will be on there with Joe. Uh, Friday post-game with the Sixers as well. Saturday morning, the Patterson Avenue Fanatics with TK and the boys going at it at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. And Sunday for the first time, Lax Philly, 9 p.m., going to talk about lacrosse, Philly style. And if you don't know anything about lacrosse, it is a great sport. I don't know a whole lot about it. i got to be honest. So I'm going to have to see what they have to say about it. Maybe they will educate us, Bill. Well, check out all their partners uh, in, in the Edge of Philly Sports. Like us, follow us. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter uh, at AOP, eopsports.com. And it'll be in your mailbox on Friday morning as well. So check it all out. Great job, guys. And uh, but Chad, I did want to uh, ask you, uh, with all the trips going on, um, that Canton trip with Dick Vermeil, Hall of Fame induction in August, 
You go to that. I haven't finalized the plans as yet, but I am definitely going to be there. I'm just deciding if I'm going to fly out to Cleveland with Philly Sports Trips or maybe drive to Canton myself. I don't know, but uh, I will be there. I promise you that. And Philly Sports Trips has a lot of great trips coming up over the next few months. Um, in a couple of weeks from now, three weeks from now, I guess, there's the ultimate bus trip to City Field in New York to watch the Phillies take on the Mets, hopefully pull out a win there. They got to beat those Mets occasionally. Um, in June, there's a trip all the way out to San Diego. You know, that's going to be fun. Southern California in June. That'll be great. There's also a trip in June to Washington, D.C., Nationals Park. And then the one you mentioned, Bill, the Dick Vermeil Hall of Fame trip. The first weekend in August, we get to see Coach Vermeil and the late Sam Mills inducted into the Pro Football or the Football Hall of Fame. So that's going to be cool. Absolutely. Well, and uh, speaking of Dick Vermeil, uh, Monday night you had the opportunity to attend the Philly Philadelphia Sports Writers Association banquet. Uh, quite a list of uh, sports celebrities and athletes, including Coach Vermeil, were at that event. Tell us how that all went. Well, it was the first time doing it in more than two years. They actually had one on, I guess it was Martin Luther King Day in 2020 before the whole world shut down when the pandemic hit. So that was like two and a quarter years ago. Nothing happened last year, of course, because of the pandemic. So they waited till May 2nd this time around to do it. So banquet number 117, it was great. And what they kind of did was just saluted some of the all-time Philly greats. You mentioned Dick Vermeil there. He was uh, honored as the living legend, and boy, ain't that the truth. Look at this guy. He's 85 years old, Bill. He looks younger than me, and I'm not really happy about that, but <laughs> great job. Uh, Dick Vermeil, of course, entertained the crowd. He was a huge hit. Uh, he got a standing ovation, not surprisingly. A lot of uh, uh, former players that he coached were there, including our pal Ken Dunnick and Bill Berge. Uh, more recently, Hollis Thomas, who didn't get coached by him, he was there as well. So that was kind of cool. There was rumors that Wilbert Montgomery was in the house. I don't know. I didn't see him. Several Philadelphia Flyers were on hand, which was nice. Bill Barber, Jimmy, and Joe Watson, four-time NHL All-Star Mark Howe. Uh, it was great to talk to both Jimmy and Joe Watson. Jimmy, another guy who is older than me but yet somehow looks younger. I don't like this. Joe Watson <laughs> finally got to meet Joe in person. We had him on the show a few months back, and he's just a happy guy. And, man, does he love to talk. So it was great to catch up with Joe in person. That was a lot of fun. Um, traditionally, the PSWA honors a professional or college team as their team of the year. Well, this year they did something a little bit different. What they did was they honored the nation's COVID-19 responders who over the past couple of years, uh, you know, the doctors, nurses, other emergency medical personnel uh, just got us through COVID. So accepting the award and serving as a representative of the medical community at large was Dr. Anna Dubeni, who works at Penn Medicine. Larry Bow was there. Carly Lloyd was there. Another ex-Philly, Dickie Knowles was there. Uh, got to say hello to Phil Martelli. Uh, Fran Dunphy, the new coach at LaSalle. Always good to see Fran. I always remind him about uh, my buddy Bill Barnes because he knows the Barnes family, Mike and especially Bill, a Temple alum who doesn't know Bill Barnes. And I remind him also of the fact that I'm from Mahoney City, Pennsylvania, the home of his former teammate Stan Ladarchik. And also said hello, of course, to the great Lou Nolan and Lou is just so awesome. He's very popular as well. So they mentioned him as uh, being behind the mic now for 50 years. So 
it was just a whole lot of fun and uh, had a blast. So kudos to everybody at the PSWA for pulling this off. We're almost out of COVID, and it was great to see a nice crowd at the Double Tree by Hilton, as it's known now in Cherry Hill. Fantastic. Looked like it was a lot of fun, that's for sure. And like you say, star-studded uh, Philly athletes and, and sports personalities. Yeah, it was great. Uh, I had a blast. I'm so glad I went. And uh, I've been to nine of the last 11 that they've had now. And uh, I'll tell you right now, I'll be there next year. I'll tell you. I'll be there. All right. Sounds good. Wait, Chet, let's move on. Talk a little Phillies baseball. They're under 500. They lost two out of three to the Mets. Lost again last night. They're six games back. You know, I realize we're only a six of the season uh, along, Chet. Uh, but this weekend, there's four games at Citizens Bank Park against the Mets. Uh, they got to win three of those four games. You can't be eight to ten games back the first week of May. Uh, it's a long season, but you don't want to have your back against the wall too early. Yeah, every game matters. I mean, every game counts just as much in April and May as it does in September. And the Mets are looking like a really good team. So you may not win the division, but you got to still win some games and stay in the wild card hunt. Working in their favor, uh, more wild card teams in the playoffs this year. So there'll be three wild card teams in addition to the three division winners. And right now the Phils are a couple of games under 500. They have some work to do. The pitching's been up and down. The hitting's been occasionally down. good, occasionally down. not so good. Yeah. Uh, Reese Hoskins still scuffling. He did get a second home in the other night. I see Alec Bohm, the one guy who is hitting pretty well, in the leadoff spot this evening. So I don't know if he's a leadoff hitter, but he is for tonight. So He's uh, the only guy that's getting on base, so you might as well put him in the leadoff spot. Yeah, and, and, and Bryce Harper still DHing, but they didn't give us an update, unless I missed it today, on – how he's doing with the shoulder and everything. So I don't know when we're going to see him in the field again. So uh, that's a little bit of a concern because I don't want to run Schwarber out there or Castellanos every day in left field and right field because neither of them are known as uh, gold glovers. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I said this before the season ever started after they made these moves. You said it right here. Uh, you needed somebody to set the table and they're hitting 150 in the leadoff spot. And I know people don't like him. I don't care if they don't like him. Odubel Herrera can hit. Put him in a leadoff spot. Put him there until he cools off. And just let him get on base and at least get something going. Because this team, you know, as we're saying, you're having to put Alec Bowman in the leadoff spot. That's not where he belongs. Um, the hitting season can't happen soon enough, Chad. It's got to start. And it really needs to start before this weekend. Yeah, I mean, the Rangers are a team that they could have swept, you know, in this two-game series. And, of course, they lost game one. I don't know how they're doing tonight. But then, then four games coming up against the Mets, all at home. Boy, they got to get at least a split in that one. Ideally, win three out of four and show that you can compete with the guys from New York. But I don't know. Hey, you know what came up in my memories today, Bill? From three years ago today, Aaron Altair was designated for assignment. <laughs> wow. <laughs> One of Maybe my, that's a memory you could forget. I huh? thought he was going to be, you know, pretty good. <laughs> Didn't work out so well. He ended up getting DFA'd um, three years ago today, played a few games after that with both the Giants and the Mets. And then he played in Korea the last yeah. couple of years, and he didn't even get re-signed in Korea this year. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, Chad. It's uh, You just can't wait too long. It, it worries me a little bit that uh, – and, you know, they've played so many games with the Mets here already in the first month of the season. 
if you're not playing them and they're in front of you, it's hard to pick up a lot of ground because you're not beating the team in front of you. So they got to lose yeah. while you got to win just to, you know, you can't, you can't pick up double dose, you know, with, by beating them. And the Mets are good, and the pitching staff is better than good, and they don't even have DeGrom yet, I guess. Right. And uh, they're not afraid to spend money. So, you know, if they're doing well come July, they're going to even bolster that roster further. So, yeah, the Mets are a, a good team. Absolutely. All right, we'll look at that some more. Hey, Chet, wanted to follow up on the second annual Kendall's Crusade One-Arm Golf Challenge that our guest Leslie, Leslie Goodell uh, talked about last week. You going to that? Uh, yet to be determined, but I hope so, because it is going to be a great event. I would love to be there for it, certainly. It is less than four weeks away now, May 31st, at White Marsh Valley Country Club. There is the One-Armed Golf Challenge that afternoon. Leslie told us all about that, followed by a fun after party. You can get all the details regarding tickets and more at kendallscrusade.com. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get there, and, uh, you know, it, it'll be a great time. I know that. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. All right, uh, Chet, great guest tonight in Brandon Lee Gowton, as always. Number 20, number one in our heart right now. Yeah. <laughs> Who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week? Well, Bill, we're going to have more Eagles talk next week with one of the absolute greats in terms of football analysis. And he also happens to be right on Brandon's heels in that uh, count. Right. He's the Hall of Famer and... One of our absolute favorites, as we said, you know who it is. It is the great Ray Didinger. So uh, Ray Diddy will be back with us. And he said he's going to have some sort of announcement for us about something. I don't know what that is. He wouldn't give me any clues. But hopefully we'll get some kind of breaking news from Ray next week. In addition to Ray Diddy, we will have a second guest talking Phillies baseball. But I'm not quite sure who it is just yet. I had one guest lined up and that fell through. But I will have another one coming out of the bullpen. So a little Phillies talk after Ray Diddy next week. Oh, that's going to be fun. You got, you got me on the edge of my seat about Ray's announcement. <laughs> yeah, me that's, too. I cool honestly don't know. And hopefully, Bill, as I said, we'll still have the Sixers to talk about uh, either the end of the Heat series or, I don't know, hopefully not the season being over. Well, there'll be plenty to talk about. We'll be able to talk about the Phillies in the four-game set against oh, the Mets for yeah. sure. Yep. Well, hey, Chet, I've let you skate for several weeks uh, about talking about the Flyers because I know it's not something you really like. Uh, <laughs> season has ended. Fourth worst record in the NHL. Mike Yao will not be back, at least as the head coach. Um, Bundy says, our pal Chris Terrian, uh, what's taken so long for the house cleaning? It should have happened the Monday after the end of the regular season like the NFL does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you what do you expect to happen for the Flyers? And frankly, do you care? Because they laid an egg for us this year. I do care. And you know what? You know how we joke about I wait till January to start <laughs> watching the Flyers? This year by January, they were pretty much eliminated. Maybe not formally, but in our minds, we knew they weren't going anywhere. And it's funny. I talked with Sam Carcitti at the Philly Sports Riders Banquet Monday night. And Sam said to me, doesn't it seem like it was like a year ago that they fired AV? It was actually early December. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it does seem like it was ages ago. And, boy, I, I watched the least amount of Flyers hockey this year than I think since I was maybe seven years old. I'm, I'm not kidding. I just could not get into it. Every time I turned them on, it seemed like they were tied and then right away gave up the go-ahead goal or they were already getting blown out. So 
not a great year. Yeah, they got to do some house cleaning, Bill. And I, I don't know what they're going to do, but it's going to have to be major. Yeah, and I don't know where you start. Do you, do you start at the top? Does the GM have to go? And, and you know, with the coach is already gone. Uh, you can't get rid of all the players, although they need to get rid of some of them, that's for sure. Uh, I'm not sure where you even go with this thing right now. Yeah, I didn't watch, like, many of the young guys that they brought up, so I don't know how, you know, the Cam Yorks and these other kids did. Who the heck knows? Uh, you watch them more than me. I mean, are there any guys that you think definitely have a future? Well, I think, you know, you mentioned Cam York, Morgan Frost, uh, some of these young guys. They had some guys that were, you know, some tough kids that came up and battled uh, through the end of the season, uh, a lot more physical than they were earlier in the year. Uh, but you have to have some some guys, uh, Van Riemsdyk and some of those guys, I don't know that he sticks around. But you got to replace these goals somehow. Um, so they, they got a real challenge ahead of them for sure. You can't start everybody yeah. being 23 and younger years old either. I know. And, you know, I didn't watch any of the games last night, but I heard there was some good playoff action last night. But, you know, I can get into it if it's the Flyers. I don't watch a whole lot of other NHL action, but it is still a great product that they put out there. Oh, yeah. I actually, uh, just because I stumbled across to watch the Lightning and the uh, Maple Leafs the other night, game one in Toronto, the place was electric in Toronto. And they managed to beat the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Lightning 4-0 in the opener. And, uh, man, they blew them out. So it's still nothing like it. The NHL playoff hockey is uh, is really special. It's even more special when the Flyers are in it. It's been too long since they haven't been. Did we talk enough about the Flyers? Do we fulfill our requirement? Yeah, well, we'll we'll talk more if Rick Tockett's the coach or whoever whoever the next coach is going to be. We'll see where that goes. Okay, we'll have to get Bundy back on to see what he would do. That's you know he he has some ideas. Yes, he does. All right, let's take another quick break and thank our friends at PPCC One Eighteen Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page, so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC 118 Raz Room. That's right. PPCC 118 Raz Room on Facebook. And Chet, that brings us to our parting shots. And you actually have one tonight, um, which I don't know anything about yet, which is were there any award shows on or anything, <laughs> anything like that that I missed? That not that I, I'm aware I have to of, unplug no. the the volume no. here. Okay. But there there is a television item that I want to bring up right now. I talked about this bill eight weeks ago when the series began, and now the ten episode run is drawing to a close this coming Sunday. It's the HBO series about those 1979-80 L.A. Lakers, and I'm loving it. It's about Dr. Jerry Buss buying the team ahead of Magic Johnson's rookie season. The coaching mess after new head coach Jack McKinney got badly hurt in a bicycle accident, and then they had to decide later in the season whether to bring him back ahead of the playoffs or stick with Paul Westhead, who was doing a good job with Pat Riley as one of his assistant coaches. So lots of off-the-court drama there. And I got to tell you that the the acting in this and the guys that they got to play these gentlemen, just terrific. Quincy Isaiah as Magic Johnson and John C. Riley as Dr. Jerry Buss are fantastic. The show is extremely well written and acted, but 
As you may have heard, there have been a lot of complaints from Jerry West and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, among others, about how they've been portrayed and about the various liberties the show has taken with you know real life. I understand that, and I'm sure I would feel the same way if I were West, for example, who's portrayed as an angry, foul-mouthed, very tough-to-get-along guy. But as the folks at HBO Max have stated, this is not a documentary. And just like with so many other based-on-real-life events, uh, changes have been made or events, you know, have been fictionalized for dramatic purposes. So as long as you realize that going in, you're going to enjoy this. It is terrific stuff. And what well, good news for fans of the show, like me, it has been renewed for a second season. So we will get to see more of it. And by the way, it's directed by Malvern's Adam McKay, uh, who went to both Penn State and Temple. And he's doing a great job with it. So I'm looking forward to the season finale this Sunday and then a season two. How, how many weeks was that? Only 10 weeks. It's 10 episodes. Ten. Uh, a little less than an hour each. On HBO I, I think HBO I, saw, I saw part of either the first or the second one. Yeah. And for some reason, I, I couldn't watch it anymore that particular night. Never got back to it. But I did read the Jerry West comments and, and the uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar comments. Yep. It's a shame that you, to me, it's a shame that you depict these guys. Everybody knows who they're supposed to be. Um, you know, if if they really were that way, I have no problem. If it's not how they were, and it sounds like that's yeah. that, that it is not how they were, I got a bit of a problem with that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate for them, but it makes for some great drama. And I got to say, everybody looks very much like they did in real life, with one exception, and that is our own Dr. J, Julius Irving. We saw him a little bit a couple of weeks ago, and of course in the finale, it'll be the Sixers and Lakers playing for the 1980 NBA title. I'm not going to spoil it and tell you who won, Bill. But uh, oh, Okay. Well, the I'll... guy the guy playing Dr. J is a good actor. I forget his name, but he is 51 years old in real life, and he's playing a 29 or 30-year-old Julius Irving, and he really doesn't look much like him at all. So that's the one negative that I would give. Gotcha. The the one show that I watched, the one the one clip that I remember, and maybe this will tell you which week it was, was back when Magic was in the the room with, I guess it was his college girlfriend, and or she was trying to be his girlfriend, and and he was trying to, he got rid of her, dumped her, and this and that. That was pretty early on. Yeah, that was pretty early on. Magic, magic like the ladies. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> you think? All right. Anything um, else for your parting shot? Just want to mention lots going on in the next few days, Bill. Tomorrow, Thursday is Cinco de Mayo. Saturday is Derby Day. And something else, which I'll tell you, Monday is Mother's Day. So a very happy Mother's Day to all the great moms out there. The other thing going on Saturday, Bill, in addition to Derby Day, it is World Naked Gardening Day, Bill. So make sure you take part. <laughs> uh, no, no. Oh, and I'll tell you what, in the neighborhood that I live in, I hope nobody <laughs> takes part. <laughs> Let's wrap it up, Bill. Oh, right. Let's thank tonight's special guest, Brandon Lee Galton. Our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Raz Room, and Dave LaVoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. For Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, May 11th at 7 p.m. You can see us live on Facebook or listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, or you can listen through Blog Talk Radio slash phillypressboxradio.com and all the other podcasts, Google, iHeart, Apple, and all the others. So with that, high hopes, Philadelphia sports fans, and 
Let's go Sixers.